The Athletic. On Saturday afternoon, we lost a member of the Fulham family. Lifelong Fulham fan Paul Parrish very sadly passed away on the 29th of January after falling ill at Craven Cottage. And despite the brave and noble efforts of the pitch side medical teams, Paul was taken to hospital where he later passed on. Fulham are a very small, very unique club. and We've got a very tight knit fan base. You see the same faces week in, week out, and we genuinely are a family. So that said, when we do lose a member of our club, it hurts and those ripples are felt far and wide. And from the flood of tributes from fans, players on social media, it's clear to see that Paul was a much-loved member of our Fulham community. His daughter, Claire, took to Twitter to say that dad lived and breathed his whites and it was the most fitting end to his life that his last journey was to a standing ovation at our beautiful Craven Cottage. Thank you to the Khans, our players and all the staff at Fulham for your support. Now, um, we were... I'm in an hour as to whether to even do record tonight and the football, the result, the performance essentially doesn't matter after an event like yesterday. So I think Jack and Loz summarised this point beautifully in their blog post. They wrote, it doesn't matter if Joe Bryan was better or worse than Anthony Robinson. It doesn't matter if Seri will get back into the side. It doesn't matter who was at fault for the goal. What matters is that people tried, helped and prayed. What matters is the heartfelt sympathy of Tom and Tim and the other players who have taken to social media to express their condolences. What matters is that the Fulham family overseas feel this loss as much as those of us closer to home. And there is, of course, a wider football family and they, led by Blackpool fans and players, have offered their sympathy too. And of course, Fulhamists join everyone with the club in offering their deepest sympathies to Paul's family during what is this very sad time. I am joined today by Tom Greatrex, who's the chair of the Fulham Supporters Trust. Hello, Tom. Good evening. Don Betts. Hello, hello. And Isabel Barker. Hi, how are you? Yeah, I'm not bad, thanks, mate. So, Tom, in light of yesterday's events, it feels very fitting to talk about Fulham's upcoming Fulham FC Celebration Day. Can you please tell us about this initiative and kind of what we're hoping to achieve with it? Yeah, of course. I mean, maybe before I do, could I just say, I know, go for, you know, for all of us here and I'm sure everybody listening that, you know, our condolences to Claire, the wider family and everybody else associated with with Paul, like many others, I I didn't know him, but I knew him in the sense that it's a face that I recognise. You saw I saw on trains or you know away games around the place. I don't think I've ever spoken to Paul, but I've nodded to him and you know acknowledged each other. And there's there's a whole load of connections like that amongst our amongst our fan base, and that's why I think it's obviously affected everybody so much what happened um, at the game because you know football has a fantastic propensity to enable joy and uh, elation and sometimes frustration and depression. But it's a it's something that comes to all of us together. And, you know, when something like, like this happens, the, the release that we get from football, it, it really, I think it really, you know, it really brings it home. And, you know, as you said in the introduction, you know, it's, it's, you know, about our identity with Fulham and the rest of the Fulham fan base is about people as much as it is about the performance. Um, the community of, of, of the Fulham family as much as the competition. And it's something which we're deeply embedded in our in our place, in our history, in the stories of our own families or people who found a connection with Fulham through various different routes. But we're all part of the same thing. And that's something which, you know, long before 
this weekend that uh, as a trust we'd been talking to the club about and that's why the uh, what we've called the celebration day which is the next or next but one the next weekend home game on the uh, 19th of February is about we have seen you know people be aware other clubs do this as well we wanted to give fans the opportunity to be able to recognize the contribution make the memories and you know celebrate the lives of people who've been associated with Fulham who we've lost in recent times and you know, lots of people have lost lots of people in recent times, uh, quite obviously, and we haven't had the opportunity to do that. So whether that's former players, managers, people associated with the board, supporters, you know, people that were that Fulham meant a lot to them and they also meant a lot probably to others at Fulham. And it's an opportunity to be able to mark that. And we aim to do this once a year from from now on, you know, early in the early in the calendar year to mark those that have lost in the previous year, but as we haven't done it for a while, we, you know, people who've lost people in the last couple of years or so um, who want to be included in that, there'll be a, a pullout in the programme, there'll be um, displays on the uh, on the scoreboards before, um, probably before the game and at halftime, and we'll be marking that during the course of that game, working closely with the club to do that. Um, and so if there are people that you've lost, the people you know that have, that we've lost in the last 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 sort of while, and you want them, their memory to be part of that, um, what we're asking people to do is email celebration day at fulhamfc.com by uh, Friday, uh, the end of Friday, Friday at 5 p.m. Uh, with the name and a picture and that sort of stuff. And we can we can make sure that their memories are added to those of very many others. And I think because, frankly, because of what has happened this weekend, it will be an even more poignant occasion than it, that it was going to be. Um, because you're absolutely right in what you said in your in, in your introduction. We are a Fulham family. It's a it's a family that's unique and it's different. Uh, we're all part of it. We come from lots of different backgrounds, you know, lots of different people from different places. But we share that bond with our club and our team and, you know, our people. And that's what the Celebration Day is about. It's about marking that contribution. I hope those that are who have lost loved ones that are able to take part will be, you know, see that as something where we can celebrate their lives, their connection with the club and everything that that entails. And that's, um, you know, that's something we've been working with the club on over the past little while and we, we hope will be a very fitting tribute to all those that we've lost in, in a couple of weeks' time. So it sounds like a incredible initiative and one that I've no doubt every corner of the fan base will be fully full square behind. And so just in terms of how that will look on the day itself, you said that there's going to be uh, tributes within the programme. Uh, pre-match, is there anything planned? Is, are we so, um, yeah, the details are being worked out, but there will be a display on the um, on the school boards with sort of, you know, names and photographs of people. Um, names will be read out. We, when we were planning this, it was at a time when we weren't sure what the COVID protocols would be about what you could do on the pitch and that sort of thing. So we're working on some of those details, but we'll be, we'll be finding ways to make sure that we, you know, everybody in the ground. And one of the things we're doing is we're uh, able to invite some of those who are relatives of some of those that have lost that might not themselves actually have been done much with to do with Fulham or football, but they've got relatives who were. And for them to be able to also use that as an opportunity to see you know, the respect and the affection with which their loved ones are held by the rest of the Fulham fan base. So that's that's what it's about. That's what we want to try to do. There'll be stuff happening before the game, I think, and at half time. Um and uh yeah, as a as an occasion to to mark those members of the Fulham family that we that we've sadly lost. And that's something obviously which is very prominent in our minds as we're talking today and over the course of the next few days. 
Absolutely. I guess for me, what it showed was how um, quickly football can unite. I think the only thing to come out of this, which we can say maybe we were proud of, was to see, you know, our player, Marek Rodak, and along with the fans, you know, calling for officials and the medics' attention. Um, and obviously then medical staff from both sides kind of uniting and, and racing into the crowd. And I've heard that the Blackpool staff, you know, coming down to Craven Cottage, they were incredible in attending to Paul and his family. So I think, you know, that I was really proud to see that. And I guess there are rare times when silence falls on a football pitch and this was one of them, but the only good thing to come out of it was football uniting, you know, to help Paul and his family. So that was really important. But I guess, yeah, I guess if if there's any way the podcast can help, you know, in any way going forward, if any anyone affected by it is listening or family or friends, and, you know, we're all here to support everyone. Like you say, it's a close-knit family at Fulham. And yeah, everyone it's important to talk about these things when people are ready and yeah I think everyone will be ready to support each other and, and talk about it and if anyone's been affected by it yeah we, we said it so many times that it's, it's a Fulham family and we're we're not the biggest club we've not got the largest fan base but I think it's because of that very size that means that we're all so close and you know you know as you said you you knew of Paul and you nod to me if you saw him on the train and so on and it's it's something that is so integral in family life. I feel like generally speaking, you follow the the club that your family follow, and we're we're all just one one big family really. So it, it, the ripples do go far and wide, and you can. There's so many ways in which you can pay tribute to anyone who's been involved with the club that has has passed on. And Dom, I know you travel with Fulham home and away, and you had some ideas as to um, how perhaps we can organise tributes. There's the usual, you know, you can have armbands and claps on a certain minute. But did you have any particular ideas? and things that you wanted to bring up? Yeah, so I think, you know, I mentioned this to Farrell yesterday when obviously the terrible news about Paul came through and I think that, you know, he mentioned at the FSD of a meeting on Thursday and I think it's not just for the Huddersfield game as Tom's mentioned, but even for the Mill game coming up in about in 10 days or so's time, I think, you know, a crowd surfer or a banner in the Hammersmith end, not just in tribute to Paul, but even in tribute to people we've lost over the last two years, which could even be pushed ahead to the Huddersfield game. It's just something to do with, you know, absent friends, Fulham family members you've lost, you know, with each, with all the names on a massive crowd surfer and banner going across the Hammersmith end, I think would be a great tribute because yes, being in the programme is great and being on the a scoreboard is obviously great as well. But this is a, this is sort of Fulham fans showing something to the, the out, the, I was showing to the outside football world as well that, that how much of a family we are and all these people we've missed. And I think this, I think this incident yesterday sort of really hit home to a lot, to a lot of people about, you know, how how close of a close knit Fulham family we are. You, I said, as Tom said, we may not have known Paul personally, but you've seen him at games before. You you, you recognise his face and stuff. So I think uh, a supporter celebration in the Hammersmith end of I think because it would be the stand that makes the most sense in that regard. Uh, you know, a, a, a banner or a crowd surfer just to pay tribute to things like this. You know, I had a, a neighbour who lives like four or five houses down from me who passed away during the COVID pandemic. You know, I've I've always known him being a massive Fulham fan. His wife passed away of dementia sort of like several years ago and he sort of, be, he'd still be going to games in his wheelchair and stuff. And, you know, he was that much of a Fulham fan. I, I would never see him at games, but I'd always, if I saw him down my street, I'd be talking to him about Fulham. Um, Michael Reed, you know, he, he went when we went into Toto Cup and the UEFA Cup. And the Europa League of the only way you just can go to, it always bring me back a souvenir of some form from from these trips. So I think just yeah, something to something to do with you know a crowd a crowd banner or or, or a surfer along the crowd that you know sometimes 
you see at Wembley, like England did it for obviously when the likes of Sancho, uh, Rashford and um, Saka got racially abused after the final, the first home game back, they had these crowds, a crowd surfer and I've been part of sort of organising that at England games. I just think a crowd surfer and crowd banner is a, is a great way to really show what a family club uh, Fulham can be. Tom, is that the sort of thing that you think the, the club could get behind or would that initiative sort of be driven by the fans, would you think? No, I mean, I think, you know, in, in, in planning what we've been planning for a while for the uh, for the uh, Huddersfield game, there are different things we can try to do to, to make that point. I think it's a very good um, suggestion that Dom's made and something we can look to see if we can incorporate that into it. I mean, um, you know, there were practical issues around COVID protocols, which I think, fortunately won't have as much impact as we thought a few weeks ago they might do so i think there's more scope to be able to do it and i think it's absolutely right that the key point that dom's making there is you know obviously we're asking people to provide you know the details of those that we want to be included in something which we're arranging for the club to be able to do but making that point and that connection with the rest of the fan base i think is a very good thing to try to incorporate into into the events on the on the 19th of february great and as we said we look forward to the 19th of February. I'm sure it will be a very poignant occasion. And yeah, we very much look forward to it and, and support it with Fulhamish. And as I said at the start of the pod, it seems almost secondary to to even discuss the game. But after the, the break, there was a match that happened yesterday and we're going to try and uh, touch upon the, the key moments. We'll be right back uh, after this short break. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. I'm joined by the chair of the Fulham Supporters Trust, Tom Greaterex. Hi there. Hi there. I'm also joined by Don Betts. Hello, hello. And Isabel Barker. Hi, how are you? Hey, I'm very well. So yeah, Isabel, we start, Fulham started the match brilliantly yesterday. I feel like Blackpool adopted a very deep back line that kind of allowed us to come at them and pick them apart with some a few clever passes. And uh, Mitrovic, who else, opened the scoring on six minutes. And wasn't it a beautifully well-worked goal? Yeah, I think Mitro will obviously made all the headlines, but I think it was really down to Niskins and, and Fabio Carvalho on that one. I think they managed to keep Niskins quiet for about five minutes and that was that. And then I think he twisted inside and out of, of both Gabriel and um, Bowler and it was just very slick from him and it was great to see him oozing so much confidence at the minute. I think in that Times interview with Dennis Adoy, he was saying how much confidence Niskins have, has and you can see that with the with the opening goal. Yeah, it was beautifully worked to Fabio, who was unmarked, uh, made a great run. And then he put the ball on a plate for Mitro, who had the simple task of of slotting it home. But I was really pleased that Mitro got the goal because I think that record is really important to him. It's now 28 goals in 26 league games. Um, and I'd love for him to absolutely obliterate Ivan Tony's record. Uh, he'd be great for the club, great for Mitro. He's a man that needs confidence as well. So yeah, it was really pleasing. Um, and it was probably one of the best starts we've had. So it was a real shame of where the game went from there, I guess. Mm, I'd have to agree. He's, he's surely going to obliterate this record. Only three or five and Tony. And when you say obliterate, I'm thinking, how many goals, Tom, do you think, Mitrovic, if you had to put a number on it, do you think he's going to reach? I think he might well get that. Um, you know, it's, it's not the championship record, is it? It's the 24-team second-tier record, the one that, um, is it Guy Whittingham has? Is that 42? Is it Division 40 1? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. so, so because I think the the... Ivan Tony won is since the since it was rebounded as a championship, wasn't it? So before that, when the Premier League was formed and you had the the twenty four team second division, uh, when it was called Div- Division One, I think I think it's forty two goals. I think Guy Whittingham got. Yeah, I think he'll beat that. I think he'll get there. I think it'll be sort of. 
Round about 45, I reckon he'll get. Yeah, I especially give it, uh, we've said it before, but Fulham generally don't really hit the gas until after Christmas. So when we've seen it with the, you know, the 23 undefeated run, it's it's the back end, it's the business end of the season that we generally kick into, you know, full throttle. So, I mean, who knows what's capable? He, he may even reach the, the magical 50, which is sort of a pedestal reserved for the likes of Ronaldo and Messi. So who knows? It was an entertaining first half, I thought. A very open game. Uh, there was some absolute, what would have been potentially a, a goal of the season contender with Harry Wilson's lob. And that strange loopy header from TC, Cav hitting the post as well. Don, but do, what do you think happened second half that meant that we were unable to, uh, to press on and get a winner? I think, you know, the, the whole way the game sort of panned out uh, I think any any the momentum we had in the first half was sort of it sort of sort of started on a clean slate, I guess you can say in the second half. And you know, Blackpool were were pressing us quite a lot. And I think, you know, it wasn't exactly our defence's best game they've had in in, in a long time. I thought I thought especially with the likes of Tosin Adarabayo and Harrison Reed were definitely given given Blackpool chances to, to create. And you you saw that in their goal from Josh Bowler. There, you know, you know, Tossing gives the ball away. Uh, Harrison Reed sort of blocking Rodas' view. I guess you can say that's why it sort of still goes down the middle and goes in. But it's not like we didn't have chances in that first half to bury the game. You know, you, you had the Harry Wilson lob. Oh, I think we hit the, the woodwork in the first half and the second half. And I think that, you know, if those go in, it's game over. I, I, was, I, was, I was saying it today. I think without the, without the stoppage in play yesterday, I wouldn't have put it beyond us to go sort of two, three, four nil up in that game if the game just continued as was expected uh, pre-game. But, you know, I think, yes, it's a disappointing result. I mean, you know, uh, Blackpool taking four points of us this season isn't, isn't exactly what, what you'd expected go, going into the season. But I think, I'm not saying necessarily it's a wake-up call um, for the f- for this side, but it shows that we aren't just going to win every game at Canter again now we've found a bit of form you know we're going into we get our next league game off our next away game anyway going into a, a game like Hull City who've won the, won the last three games including wins over the likes of you know Blackburn and Bournemouth we've got Mill who obviously beat West Brom on the weekend so I'm hoping it shows that I know we went, you know, was it eight points clear at, at, at the Stoke game, and, and I think, or you know, with 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 the games in hand, sort of being played and stuff, and I think it shows that there is still plenty to do in this league, and I think that it showed that we're not just this invincible, unbeatable team who can't be got at. You know, we we've 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 seen it from Blackpool yesterday. They they were creating chances, they were putting us under pressure, and when we, you know, our our backline isn't sort of, you know, what's that? What we conceded now, seven goals in the last sort of four games or so you know it's not exactly like um, a team who's sort of solid at the back we are just a team who, who can score a lot of goals I think it's 74 now in the league so I think yeah it was I think the disruption to sort of the flow of the game did affect us but we did have the chances to bury the game so I think it, it was a fact yesterday of us just not being clinical enough yeah, you say it was maybe a wake-up call or, or perhaps a, a call back down to earth after the giddy heights of the last few games. But you, you touched upon the, the goals that we've conceded. Drew Heatley also posted an article um, reflecting on this. Um, it's, it's easy to get whipped up in the you know the you know the goals that we've been scoring, but at the back we have been making some errors. Of, resulted in sloppy goals being conceded and it perhaps reminds me a bit of when we went up with Slavisa and we were outscoring scoring loads of goals and it was it was all fine and good but then when we did eventually get promoted that was our undoing because we we carried on adopting that style of play that we were just going to try and outscore the opposition and, and didn't sort out the defense at the back um Tom was you, is this particularly worrying to you our, our defensive record at the moment or do you think it's um do you think it's it's just you know it just wasn't our day essentially well I, you know I think you know, before the stoppage, uh, I think what was he played thirteen minutes, 
And when the stoppage happened, you look at the stats and we had like 85% possession, six shots, two shots on target. And it felt at that point as though, you know, as Dom said, we were going to, um, we were going to get the second or the third. And I think that was true up until about uh, right at the start of the second half when we, when uh, Cavallo hit the, hit the woodwork and that was about the 50th minute. I think it was from then that it basically turned. And I was very impressed with Blackpool. I think, I do think, I mean, none of our defenders had a good, good game you know they were all giving the ball away they're all missing challenges and that sometimes that sometimes happens but you know I might I'd be comforted by two things firstly exactly as Dom said you know this is not going to be a situation where we're just going to turn up and win and it's not bad to be reminded of that and still not lose firstly secondly I'm you know more than uh, confident that the capability of our manager is that you know he won't have missed that. I mean, we couldn't know you couldn't miss that, but he won't have missed that, and he'll be working on that. And you know, there was a period earlier in the season where we were conceding a few goals, and then we went through a period where we didn't concede any for a while. Um, and it wasn't just about the goalkeeper; actually, it was the it obviously worked with the defence and marshaled it a bit better. And I think that'll be part of the focus of the of, of, of training over the over the next few days. And it, but it's, it was one of those days, I think, in in some senses, you know, it obviously wasn't for the reason why we had the stoppage. But the second half, I think. I was very impressed with Blackpool, and I think Blackpool, the you know the team that came up out of the playoffs, but the strongest team who came out of League One um, last season. They've got a really good manager, I think, and who's you know obviously been schooled at uh, Anfield, and you can see that in some of the some of the tactics in the second half, and they did it very very effectively and very well. Um, uh, and we're going to face that again, I think. You know, you know, you said we tend to be good at the second part of the season in recent years, but if you look at our games we've got coming up, we've still got to go to Middlesbrough. Still got to go to West Brom. Still got to go to Bournemouth. You know there are some there are some tougher ways. Still got to go Sheffield United. There are some tougher away games as well um, coming up and during the second half of the season. So it's it's I'm not you know overly despondent because I think it's something we can see and we can fix. And I'm confident we will be able to fix. And yeah, absolutely. Credit where credit's due. I thought um, Blackpool were very very deserved of their points. I thought it was exceptional defending and exceptional game management, which upon reflection I can now see, but at the time I would call um, blatant time-wasting. But in what, actual fact, like what Stoke fans were saying about us last week. You know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I mean, it's a sign of a good team. We're going to see it time and time again. Teams, you know, that we've now got this reputation of this free-scoring, flashy team and, and, and teams are just going to try and do whatever they can to try and grind out results against us. So it's something that we need to get used to and adapt, as you say. I thought Josh Bowler, Fulham Academy. We let him go. We let him go. So we've got ourselves to blame for him being our Achilles heel this season. Um, yeah, and apparently we want him back. There's a few rumours that we actually want him back um, for, I think, about 1.5 million. So... Peanuts, um, but yeah, people touting him as a bit of a replacement for Carvalho, maybe. Not sure about that one, but he does, does look very good against us. And and uh, I think he's grown in a lot of maturity and confidence under Neil, the manager. I think they worked together at Everton. Um, I think he's grown a lot from there and he was obviously enjoying his football. But um, yeah, he was definitely the standout player. And we, we shot ourselves in the foot by allowing him to have so much space and time to roam on that right flank and um, he gave us a, a number of warning shots as well before that goal and it just it was obviously coming you know it'd been brewing for some time he looked yeah red hot form so yeah no he was I was very impressed with him I thought he looked really good and um, the club have said that they're not gonna stop him uh, moving if he wants to they're in the business of like 
nourishing that young talent and they're not going to stop him if he wants to move on. Um, I think we're in competition with Nottingham Forest for him. So I think he'd be rude to not come over to Fulham and, and go to Nottingham Forest. But yeah, no, I wouldn't mind having him. I wouldn't mind having him at the club. I think he'd be a worthwhile investment. I think that's dead cheap for him. I think he looks really good against us. But then I think, um, was it Joe Sanson made a good point that three of his senior goals have all been against us. One at Hull when he was at Hull and then two uh, for Blackpool this season. So who knows if he's actually... I, I've never seen him against other teams, so I can't comment on that. I don't know if anyone else has seen him for uh, against other teams. Yeah, I think we quit that we'll buy him just to prevent him from scoring against <laughs> us in the future. I can't remember who made that joke, but it was quite, <laughs> quite a good one. Um, yeah, it seems seems to be a lot of academy prospects that once played for us that have uh, come back to bite. So Adebayo scored for against um, scored against us for Luton didn't he, the other day. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a worrying trend, the one that the um, Hugh Jennings should be keeping a close eye on. I think. I just wanted to touch upon the the players that we have missing through international duty. Dom, do you feel like we missed Obi Dekadovarij yesterday when we were looking for that create creativity, that creative spark to try and get get the the winner? Yeah, I think that the thing is with Bobby Reed is that. We don't miss him in regard to a team and are looking at our starting eleven. But if you then look at our bench, he is that impact player that we can bring on. Who can play? I don't know up top. We can play out wide, play in a number ten role. And I don't. Without him, I don't think we have that in play off the bench. You know, I think yeah, with Cavalera going back to the bench, I wouldn't ever have called him an impact player. He's someone who I'd say I don't mind him starting, but I don't want him coming on. For example, you look at someone like Anthony Knockart, As as I've said multiple times, I think the only thing he's good at is wasting time. And the last thing we needed to be doing on Saturday afternoon was was wasting time with the amount of Blackpool were. So I think that, yeah, I think we missed that impact player going forward off the bench. You know, you look at Anthony Robertson, I think, you know, about a month or six weeks ago, I probably said, no, uh, we really wouldn't miss Anthony Robertson. I don't, I don't think we need him. But I think in the last sort of couple of games, few games, he has sort of improved and is, impro- and is showing why he was so highly rated. And as every commenter at Kate has said in the Premier League last year, why his move to AC Milan fell through. But I think obviously he got on a score sheet once again for um, the USA against El Salvador in the international break, a massive win for, for the United States. Did his, old, did his famous sort of somersault backflip celebration pretending to pull his hamstring. But yeah, I, th- I, think, I wouldn't say we necessarily we necessarily missed them because I think in the first half we had enough chances to bury the game. And I think that's we've kind of shown that this season is like we've scored all these goals, but we could have scored a lot more, which is which is crazy, which is crazy to think about. But I, I don't think it was necessarily us missing anyone yesterday. I think it was simply a case of us, us not taking our chances, us letting Blackpool back into the game, and then their game management from from their goal onwards was was superb. Yeah, no, I would have to agree. And um, Tom, looking at the table, Fulham are now five points clear of Blackburn, who had a nil um, nil draw to Luton. Bournemouth got an away win at Rock Bottom Barnsley. We have a favourable run of fixtures coming up, um, as Dom alluded to earlier. So, I mean, are, are we looking over our shoulders? Or are we still very much marching forward after yesterday's uh, minor blip, dropping those two points? Well, I, I think I agree it's a, a minor blip. Um, obviously, I think, you know, the what's important now is the reaction and response to that. And actually, when we've had poor performances in the past this season, by and large, we've, we've recovered from them, you know, after the Coventry game, after the Sheffield United game. I know they were defeats rather than draws. Um, so you know, I, th- I think uh, I think that's what's important, and it, but it's a good reminder for us. You know, this this division, it's not just those teams as well. If you look at Middlesbrough winning again, QPR winning again, you know, it's not just the two teams immediately behind us, but it's the others in the current playoff places. There's enough games, I think, for certainly Middlesbrough to make up the gap to be able to get to to the top two. So we've got to keep on our keep on our you know keep on our game. I think the next run of fixtures. 
as you say, they look uh, as though you know they they should be games where we should be picking up plenty of points, um, and that's what we need to get back to doing. And I think you know I don't think um, Anthony Robinson. Uh, you know I'm hoping that you know he's got two more games. I think for the USA in this international break that he doesn't get injured and that he comes back fit um, because he was. I completely agree with Dom. He was definitely improving before the start of the international break, and you hope they can carry that form uh, forward. But I don't think we haven't, you know, the players that we have got that are available that are fit at the moment should be able to do a job against those next in those next couple of fixtures before other players return. Absolutely. Izzy, uh, so I think Sammy, Jack and Peter will touch upon this game more in the, the Thursday club, but I just wanted to touch upon the Man City game quickly. I have no idea how we're going to set up for this one. It's a very, it's a bit of a kind of red herring of a of a fixture because we want to maintain the winning momentum and and you know our, our run of form. But also, how on earth do your men are set up shop against this Manchester City side? I, I don't suppose you've ha- heard any inkling from your from your press box as to how we're going to approach this this um, FA Cup fixture on Saturday. No, definitely not. And I'm trying to block out anything to do with this Man City game because it seems like it happens every year and it's the same thing. We we get beat by <laughs> nil or something like that. But no, I, I would hope that there's just a bit of, uh, as Silver seems to do quite well, a lot of rotation, maybe um, different faces coming in, resting some players. But no, I've not got any inkling as to how we're going to set up against them. Dom, Tom, I don't know if you've got any idea. No, I just can't. I'm just hoping we see. I see my first goal at the uh, the Etihad. I've been there four times <laughs> and seen us lose two nil, three nil, four nil, and five nil. I think, and we've had, this is the third time we've had them in the cup in four years. We had them in the exact same round two seasons ago, where it was game over after like two minutes when Tim Ream got sent off, and I think Gabriel Jesus put the ball past us for a penalty spot. I was hoping for a bit more of a competitive game this time. It was probably the only good game that Terence Congolo has actually played. For Fulham in that game when he put that that crazy line tackle in, but it's 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 interesting to see what happens because no matter who Man City put out, it's a team who's capable of winning the Premier League. I mean, they've got they got two they got two teams who've got who are capable of finishing in in the top three in the Premier League. But it's interesting to see if we do continue with the same starting eleven and go with sort of push through the momentum, even if we don't get the obviously progressive next round, even if we take Man City and and, and press them tough. Because I can't see Marco Silva sort of doing a Scott Parker in a situation. And just sitting back and allowing Man City to attack us. I just, I can't see. And if you if you have seen that teams have knocked out Man City in the cup in previous years, that obviously that's not happened much with their record in domestic cups. But you're looking at West Ham this season. You're looking at you know Wigan in the FA Cup a few years ago. That it's, it's teams who have taken the game to them. And I think I'm not saying completely go gung ho and just completely you know go out and attack Man City. But there's no point in just sitting back because Man City will eventually score a goal. You know Chelsea tried doing that in the league game and they got totally outclassed. So I think. It is, it is a point where, you know, t- I think as and other neutral fans watching this game will want us to show what we've shown in the championship season and not just a team who, oh, once we get up, back up to playing Premier League opposition, we're going to sit back and just defend. So I think, obviously, I haven't heard anything in particular, but I'm hoping it's not just 11 changes and we sort of get our, you know, normal 3-0 de- uh, defeat at the Etihad. Have you got any anything planned special? Are you staying up in Manchester or you, will you no, be back? No, no, um, no. no the- good, good, old, good old day trip from me. So It works out really well. So I ended up getting trained to like 38 quid return and match ticket was a tenner. So under 50 quid, I'll probably just spend that before the game's even started in Manchester. So, you know. <laughs> good stuff. It's one to look forward to. I think... Um, 
you know, supporters of other clubs will probably may hear us saying, you know, but I genuinely think it's got the possibility to be to well, be. Well, we sold we sold out a decent amount. We sold a decent amount of tickets for the game. We sold out the lower tier. We sold out the middle tier. It's just tickets available in the upper tier. You know, f- f- weirdly, funny enough, you you make tickets reasonably priced. No, it may be far up north, but people will go. You know, so I think mm. I think I'm, I'm looking. I think for a lot of fun fans are looking forward to this game. I know a lot of fun fans would have been to Etihad previously, but I think there's a different feeling about this game. With you being an FA Cup game, it was actually being actually being a Saturday three o'clock game. Yeah, no, I think there's. I don't want to say false optimism, but I think a lot of people are looking forward to the the day out in Manchester. Yeah, too right, and um, yeah, I hope everyone traveling up has a has a fantastic day. It'll also and- be the first chance for Fulham fans to um, use Royal Seating, the official safe standing area. If you're in that lower tier at the Etihad, which is um, one of the clubs that's got that on trial, we should be able to get, do that also at Cardiff, I think, when we play them away. But you know, so there's even that is something worth um, experiencing. I think if even if we don't do as well and. You know, every time I've been to the Etihad, we've won, which is only twice. But, you know, so I'm going on Saturday, so you never know. Were you there for the iconic comeback? I was, yeah. Oh, um, wow, that must, have, that must have been special. It was a great game, yeah. Man City <laughs> were a bit different in those days, but you never know. You know, we could... Uh, I keep that record going this on Saturday. Who knows? The magic of the FA Cup, eh? Let's um, let's have all our fingers crossed. And Tom, while we have you here, I just wanted to briefly ask about the survey coming up about the Riverside stand. Um, do you have any more details on that and how people can take part? Yeah, so um, the Trust will be putting out a survey, you know, to our members, but also more widely on, on social media in the, probably in the next, uh, during the course of this week, I expect, or the next few days um, about the Riverside stand. Obviously, everyone can see the Riverside stand. It's looking magnificent. It's getting there um, in terms of uh, certainly the bit you can see. There's obviously a lot of work to go on the fitting out, but we've been talking to the club for a while about, uh, you know, what we want to see, what facilities we want to see available to fans, how they're going to do it in the Riverside, how you're going to manage the moving back of people um, who are in the Putney end, who were previously in the Riverside, you know, all of those types of issues. Um, it's been a while since we've collected views on it. Um, it's getting towards that point. I think probably it won't be fully open at the start of next season, but it will be at least partially open. And, you know, we want to uh, make it as uh, uh, hassle-free as possible that getting people back into, the st- into that stand. And also, you know, thinking about it, you know, there's an extra, whatever it is, about 9,000 seats in that stand. So we're going to have a lot of seats to fill to sell um, and how we can encourage and get other fans coming along to Fulham as well as the 19,000 that were there this weekend. Fantastic. Good stuff. So make your way over to, sorry, what, what, how, do, how do people take part? It's going to be sent so, out. Yes, it will be. It will be, be on our, on our, on the social media channel. So um, on Twitter, Fulham Supporters Trust, and um, we'll also, uh, I'm sure we'll be able to uh, encourage Fulhamish and others to share it to uh, your listeners and everybody else to be able to get as many responses as we can. Good stuff. Excellent. Yeah, I think that's that's about it for today. Um, obviously, the the match and the result and the performance totally overshadowed by yesterday's events. And um, I would just echo what we said earlier. And everyone from Fulhamish sends their deepest sympathies to the family of Paul Parrish. Yeah, you've got the whole Fulham family behind you guys. Yeah, sending you love and sympathy. And yeah, thank you very much, uh, guys, for, for taking part in the podcast today under what was obviously tough circumstances. Uh, Tom, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Cheers. Dom, Dom, so, Tom. It's all right, mate. <laughs> and thank you for Isabel Barker as well. Cheers, George. So Sammy, Jack and Peter will be back on Thursday Club for a Man City preview and some other bits. But until then, have a lovely rest of your week and yeah, see you then. Speak soon. You whites. Right.